This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. My mother is a person who normally comes across as pretty together. You'd meet her and probably be struck by her warm personality, her slightly loud voice and Australian accent, and a sense of humor to match. She's known for her skills in problem solving and managing people, and her sensitivity to the plight of others has led her to be willing to lay down her own needs and help pretty much anyone who crosses her path. Together we left Australia when I was 11 years old so we could make a new life in Asia. She'd been a single parent ever since she left my dad before I was a year old, but I always felt provided for, if a little lonely as the only child of a hard-working mother. She was a high school teacher in Adelaide, a coastal city in South Australia, when she decided to relocate us to Hong Kong, where she had been offered a job that paid well enough to make our lives look completely different. We'd always struggled to make ends meet and I was up for the adventure. I have a memory from as I was growing up of my mother talking about how lonely she was. She didn't have boyfriends since I was about 8 or 9, and I can remember feeling vaguely sorry that she couldn't have this thing that she wanted so badly. One day about 10 years ago, my mother found herself in a situation that I could barely believe she let herself get into. She had followed her desire for a loving relationship so far down a rabbit hole that she barely managed to get herself out of it and back to safety. She and I have always been different, so while I could understand her desire to find someone to love, I had trouble understanding why she made the choices she made. Fool me twice is a chance for me to understand my mother's motives and piece together what I can figure out about why she was so easily led on by a con artist. I reason that there has to be something to figure out here. How could a woman who has her head screwed on in so many aspects of her life be so blinded by the manipulation of one man? The room was dark, so I opened my eyes and waited for them to adjust. The man in the bed next to me was snoring lightly, and I hadn't been able to sleep. It must have been 4 a.m. Slowly, so I wouldn't wake him. I slipped out of bed and sat on the edge. Everything inside me was screaming I had to get out now. But I knew that if I woke him up it would be all over. Strangely, it was in the dark that I was able to see it all clearly. This man had been manipulating me, conning me out of my money and I'd fallen for a hook line and sinker. Fool me twice, shame on me. I did my best to keep my breathing calm and quiet. As he lay there I could smell the alcohol reeking on his breath. It was comforting in a way. I knew that alcohol makes people sleep more deeply, 
but there was still so much between this moment and the moment I could make my escape. Inwardly, I made a list. I had to gather my things. I knew the wad of money I'd given him was in the pocket of his jeans, which lay on the floor. I needed to get that. The keys to the car which I had rented were on the nightstand beside him. As I contemplated the sheer number of steps between me and being alone and free on the outside of that door, it began to feel impossible, and my heartbeat hammered in my ears. This man had shown me that he could be mean and volatile, even to the point of being violent. I was terrified of what could happen if he'd wake up as I was leaving the hotel room. Even so, I was feeling so sick with fear that I knew I had to leave, run, and try and save what I could of my money and my dignity. I crept across the room, feeling grateful for the thick carpet that muffled the sounds of my movements. I packed everything I could in my suitcase, retrieved my toiletries in the pitch black from the bathroom, and took a long time to zip up my case. I'd never been so preoccupied about the loudness of a zipper. I placed my bag beside the door. Next, I knelt down and drew the cash, hundreds of pounds, out of the pocket of his jeans. I felt a fresh moment of disbelief wash over me. I never thought I was a fool. But in the darkness, when he was just a sleeping guy who'd had too much to drink, he wasn't charming. He couldn't smile at me and tell me the things I wanted so badly to hear. And I saw past my wishful thinking to the awful truth. I was ready to go. I looked at the door and had a moment of panic. What if the door made a noise when I opened it? I decided to test it out, turn the handle, and there was a loud click. He stood, rolling over and asked what I was doing. I murmured something about putting the do not disturb sign out and quickly hung the card on the outside handle. He said something about that being a good idea. Waves of panic surged through my body and I went totally numb. I couldn't open the door without waking him up. This is never going to work. I was trapped here in this room with a liar, a manipulator and a master con man. I stood with my back against the wall silently, willing my heart to calm down. After the longest moment of my life, I took off my shoes and slipped back into bed, utterly defeated. My name is Zara Hannaford, and this is the story of my mum Jules, who was forced to learn the hard way about the world of online dating. She was so hopeful that it was just the thing she needed to be able to find the partner of her dreams. She'd seen friends meet and fall in love online and go on to live happily ever after. But it was far from like that for her. The men she met seemed to see her as a cash cow. She was an older woman who'd had a good career, was done with the children thing, and was searching for companionship later in life. They must have smelled the scent of her foolish optimism 
and could see she was ripe for manipulation. Chapter 1. The Exciting World of Online Dating It had been years since my mum had been in a relationship. The last one had been terribly dysfunctional and had ended with her packing the guy's bags and changing the locks. We'd moved to Hong Kong and started fresh there, but for my mum there seemed to be this creeping sensation. As she saw so many of her friends find partners in loving relationships, she started to notice loneliness. She was living a life she loved, but she started to feel like she was missing the chance to share it with someone. I went on a holiday with a bunch of my best girlfriends, and of course, over cocktails by the pool, the subject turned to dating. Who was dating who, what kind of dating disasters they'd been on lately, and who wasn't dating but wanted to be. My friend Rachel mentioned that she'd signed up for a dating website. Suddenly I was paying attention. This was the early 2000s, so there wasn't much talk about this sort of thing back then, and I'd heard about dating websites, but I hadn't met anyone who was using one yet. Rachel explained how she'd signed up, filled out a bunch of questions, uploaded some photos, and then, it seemed like straight away, had loads of dates. I was even more interested. Being six foot tall in Hong Kong had made it really difficult to find anyone I was attracted to. I had a long-standing rule that I can't date someone shorter than me. Maybe it's superficial, but I can't seem to let it go. I asked Rachel a lot of questions, trying vaguely to hide how excited I was about going home and signing up. It was all I could do not to call off the rest of the holiday and get home and get online immediately. All of a sudden, I was so aware of the fact that I'd been alone for so long and how much I wanted a partner. It was like the fact that I now had this feeling of hope that I could find someone. It opened up the floodgates of awareness that I was really, really lonely. I think I hadn't quite been aware of that until then. I decided then and there that as soon as I got home to Hong Kong, the search would begin. Online dating was exciting. It seemed there was a limitless database of opportunities to meet the love of her life. She signed up to plentyoffish.com, which she said reminded her of when she was a teenager, and she'd complained to my grandma about the boys at school who didn't seem to notice her. My grandma would tell my mum that there's plenty of fish in the sea, and my mum would get upset and say that she doesn't want a fish, she wants a boyfriend. got deeper into the online dating world, I chatted to a few men that I found attractive from what I could learn from their photos and what they'd written about themselves. It was becoming obvious that there's a lot of room to lie and embellish when you create your online profile. I was meeting men who weren't good enough. I would travel to meet these men who would mysteriously have no money to pay for dinner and taxis, but still, I wasn't learning. It took something bigger and more violent to shake some sense into me. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. 
classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real-life on-the-go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. Chapter 2 Truman After months of trawling through profiles and exchanging messages back and forth and meeting a handful of men who have varying degrees of terrible, I was starting to lose hope. I called a friend in Australia and she told me she'd met a man living in the UK and that they were starting to develop a great relationship. She was using a dating site I hadn't heard of, so I decided to shake things up and try a new one. Soon after signing up, I came across an attractive-looking man. Name, Truman. Age, 35. Location, Manchester, United Kingdom. Occupation, construction, trade. This was looking promising. I sent him a message of interest and he replied quickly. Thank you for all your interests, favorites, and messages. I wish you all luck finding love, but please remember the word of Marilyn Monroe. I am selfish, impatient, and a little insecure. I make mistakes. I am out of control and at times hard to handle. But if you can't handle me at my worst, then you sure as hell don't deserve me at my best. Okay, a bit about me. I'm a tall, prosperous, kindly, professional. I'm a director of a property project management construction company. I am self-motivated, intuitive, with varied interests and people orientated. My likes are building, conversation, golf, theater, books, travel, wining and dining. Dislikes are pomposity, personal violence, and women who believe that true virtue is located below the navel. I am funny with a high IQ and income. I have a sparkling confidence mind, shiny brown skin, trimmed mustache, rich brown eyes, and shaved bald head. I'm looking for a sexy lady to share travel and excitement, maybe more. So this is unlikely to suit pushy materialists. Should this meet the eyes of a loving nice lady who enjoy concerts, movies, quiet times, and finer things in life? Why not contact me and tell me about yourself? No photos, no chat, sorry. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it could with this optimistic, talented, and charming man. 
Thank you for reading my profile. To me, when I read this, it's so obvious that it's a generic message to anyone. Nevertheless, she responded quickly. You seem very interesting and genuine. I like your pictures as well. You have a great smile. I'm an Aussie girl living in Hong Kong. I'm six feet tall, long dark hair and very active. I play different sports and love to swim. I'm a teacher at an international school and I teach drama and personal social and health education. I'm also ahead of year, so I look after students' academic needs and emotional social problems as well. I love my job, so I'm really lucky. I live on a little island off Hong Kong, which is a Chinese fishing village with great beaches. There are no cars and I walk everywhere. I travel loads, actually. I've just returned from Kenya with 60 students on a school trip, which was amazing. I have a daughter who is a beautiful, successful girl. She's 21 and lives in London. Do you travel much? Have you been anywhere in Asia? Do you have any children? Anyway, have a great day and let me know if you'd like to learn more about me. I hope to hear back from you. Truman replied after a few days. It was really nice to hear from you. I have been wondering when a join of act with substance and loose too much will come along. I hope your love trip online is going well. Not so for me. It's all been fake profiles. Demands for money or phone credit scam. I'm left wondering where all the good ladies in the world are. I'm so thrilled about the concept of living on an island with no cars. How unbelievably cool. You sound quite happy and good on you. Life is short. You seem to have gotten it right. Simple is better. I'm planning my trip back in time soon. The Gambia, Ghana, Kenya, all in my planned travel routes. I'm at work, but decided to reply to you quickly. Until our energy attract again, take care, Truman. It's interesting that Truman, my mother's future scammer, would tell her about being scammed himself. It was a tactic to use to put her at ease, and it worked. It didn't take long after this message for them to exchange Skype addresses and begin talking often. I thought his accent was a bit odd and I questioned him about it. He told me that he was born in the UK and was adopted by a British couple. He said that his parents sent him to Canada for boarding school and that explained his unusual accent. In hindsight, I realised that he was just talking rubbish and his accent was not British with a little Canadian twang. But the confidence he had when he told me the story completely threw me off. Early on, Truman's Skype name changed. The spelling of his surname switched from Truman Bahari, spelt with a Y at the end, to Truman Bahari with an I. I didn't notice this at the time, but when I asked him about it sometime later, he brushed it off and avoided answering convincingly. We spent hours on the phone together. He mentioned that he'd like to come and visit me in Hong Kong. I was excited. In my mind, this meant a few things. One, he was really genuinely interested in me. Two, that he had the means to travel. 
and three, that he was willing to risk the cost of a flight to see if we were really meant to be together. My hopes were definitely up, but not long after this he made an excuse about work and said he couldn't come and see me and asked if I could visit him instead. He also suggested we meet in Africa for a holiday. I thought about it and now cannot believe I was considering going to meet him in Ghana having never even met him in person. Thank goodness that part of the story never happened. Since sending pictures was a condition of his for initiating their relationship, she had sent him some photos of herself and where she lived. She asked for photos of him, but he mostly ignored her requests. He was starting to manipulate her using flattery, and she was falling for it. Did you like the photo I sent? I do. Can you please send me some photos of you? I don't have any. You are a sexy lady. Oh, thanks. I'm glad you think so. I was wondering how someone as hot as you can be single in a place like the UK. They are just not my kind of woman. I just came out of a long relationship. I just want a simple, nice woman. Not spoiled, unrealistic and selfish. Oh yeah, I'm not any of those. I don't know if any women are simple. I think we can be a bit complicated. I try to always look for good in people. One of my many faults My faults are being too trusting, too naive, and too generous. I can't say how much I wish I could go back in time and shake the person that I was and say, yes, you are too trusting, too naive, too generous. Watch out because you've just laid all your cards out on the table and you've met a card shark. What do you think about the fact that you trusted him so quickly? I think that I was naive and I think that I had a level of desperation that really I don't have anymore now that I'm older. I feel that I felt so lonely and so desperate for love and companionship and intimacy that I was really willing to take risks. But also, I think that I just saw the good in everybody and I wanted to see the good in everyone. And I didn't really look beyond the layers to see what was truly there. Dr Scott Musgrove is a forensic psychologist as well as a marriage and family therapist. He offers a useful perspective on trust. I define trust in relationships as really one of the foundational aspects of intimacy. And in order to trust someone, you have to take chances. You have to take great chances that this person may not be as perfect as you expect them to be. They may not be fulfilling the needs that you think you need fulfilled in a relationship. Trust is giving over an intimate part of yourself to another person with the expectation that they will step up to that level of responsibility. You don't give your trust, your intimacy, you don't give that to anyone easily, and nor should you. It should be something that's built slowly, almost like we use the term scaffolding. You don't give someone your trust immediately. In fact, that should be a red flag. If you immediately feel like you need to trust someone, 
I always encourage people, take a step back. What is it that is pulling you towards that person and really break it down? Are they a great conversationalist? Do they have a great smile? Those are all great things, but really look at the content. It's completely ironic that I was so trusting of Truman. I told him all about the times so far that I'd been tricked and conned by men on these same dating sites. I volunteered information about my faults, and in doing so gave him plenty of reason to think I would be a good mark for his scams. My heart was open to him, so I wasn't being as guarded as I should have been. I wasn't being careful. She literally said to him that her faults are being too trusting, too naive, and too generous. And from what I can gather, this was music to his ears. Dr. Shiloh is a clinical and forensic psychologist and police psychologist and works on a crisis negotiation team. Dr. Shiloh offers a useful perspective on trust. Trust in relationships, that definition is really important to talk about because it's a component of intimacy. And I, when I say intimacy, I mean emotional intimacy. And in relationships, you need certain components to keep that closeness, to keep that bond. And trust is absolutely one of the hallmarks. I think when I ask people what they think about the components of intimacy would be trust is one of those easy ones that people always think of. You know, they don't think of things like the courage to be vulnerable or the knowledge of the other person. They think things like honesty and trust and respect. So I, I think there's something to that. It, it's a hallmark of what we all have as our bar and our marker for when we can get into the other components to let our guard down, to be vulnerable, to be emotional emotionally vulnerable with somebody else. So trust is a very abstract term, but we all feel like it's very important and we all have our own little barometer for when we feel like we've reached that level of trust, whatever that means to each individual person. Kay was in her late 40s when she decided to try online dating in 2006. This was in the very early days of online dating, and she met a man who lived in the USA. She spoke to him on the phone, and he had an American accent. I had a not very pleasant uh, online dating experience. I decided to sign up on a couple of sites, I think it was match.com, where I had to fill in a very, very detailed questionnaire with all sorts of psychological questions about myself and what kind of person I was looking for. And I got matched up with a gorgeous-looking, charming man named Chiedu, African-American man in who worked in the radio industry in I think it was Portland, Oregon. So we started communicating via that site. So we didn't know each other's personal email addresses or contact details at that point. It all seemed um, very promising. And we fairly quickly moved to giving each other our contact details, email addresses. So we started emailing privately 
and things were going well. And then we had a few phone calls and I was due to attend a personal development workshop in Sedona in Arizona in July of that year. And so I suggested to him that, well, maybe we could meet after the conference if he was willing to come down and meet me in Sedona. And he said, yes. You know, he told me he booked his flights and bus from Phoenix to Sedona. And he even sent me an email with a screenshot, a photograph of, of his plane tickets. And when we continued having emails and occasional phone calls, everything seemed to be organised, planned, that he would meet me in Sedona the day after my conference ended. And I'd arranged to stay in the hotel there for a couple of extra days. And I told all my friends at the conference that I was going to be meeting this uh, internet dating man the day after the conference. And I told the hotel staff, you know, front desk staff, that this friend was going to be visiting me in the hotel. The morning that he was due to arrive, I got an email from him saying, basically one line, one sentence saying, I'm not coming. And I never heard from him again. Even though I emailed him and you know, I wanted to know why, I never heard from him again. And I was absolutely devastated. Some of my friends from the conference were still at the hotel, so I went back and told them and, and they gave me a hug and I was crying. I was very, very upset. And I never heard from him again. I didn't send him any money. He didn't ask me for any money. I never met him. He didn't hurt me physically in any way, but I was devastated. I realise now, looking back at it, that there were some big red flags that I didn't notice at the time. Or, you know, maybe I had a slight twinge of, you know, thought something's not right here. I never spoke to him face to face. We didn't have it like a Skype call or, you know, a Zoom call. And, you know, never actually saw him face to face in a conversation before he was due to arrive. And several times in the few months between like March and July, as we were communicating. There were several gaps where he went offline in communicado. And then when we did renew contact, he would always have a very reasonable, logical sounding explanation for why he wasn't contactable. He was away on a, a camping trek with his son in the desert somewhere and, and there was no internet connection or something or you know, his son was suddenly sick and had to go to hospital or, you know. I decided that I wasn't interested in ever doing internet dating again. And interestingly, just, just last year, just, or I don't know, a few months ago, maybe last year was, I, just out of curiosity, I, I, I heard something about there's a website that you can go to where you can check somebody's criminal record in the States. But I checked that out and this person's name, first name and surname, I, I don't think there's very many people with that exact same name and in the same city. And it was very sus, very suspicious and not good uh, in terms of a criminal record. Although Kay didn't lose any money to her scammer, and wasn't in any personal danger, she still felt very upset about the fact that he'd strung her along. Her scammer put her off online dating for good, and it was years before she dated again, but this time in real life. 
the next episode, I'll shed some light on all the ways my mother's relationship with this con artist was built on lies. We find out about the times previously when she met men online who saw clearly that she was easily manipulated. She kept letting herself be convinced that true love was just around the corner, if she would just overlook this or that red flag. It's taken her a long time to learn that people are not always as they seem. Make sure you listen to the next episode, Catfish. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.